All right, everybody. Happy August 16th, 2019. Welcome to the show, Icons. I've been telling you guys about this for weeks now, but we are going to have four of the most influential national leaders on the show today. I'm so excited about this particular themed show. And we're starting out uh, bright and early with the incredible Lori Jean, the CEO of the world's largest LGBT center here in the city of Los Angeles. And co-hosting throughout the day, I'm going to have Diane Abbott. And if you, you've we've had Diane on here before. And of course, Diane is just co-founder of so much. MECLA, APLA, HRC. I mean, she has been a power lesbian since the 70s. 70s, hard to believe. Um, And they're both in the studio. I won't tell people your age, Diane. (laughs) Thank you so much, John. I think they can figure it out now. And after these two power lesbians, Lori and Diane, we're having John Davidson on. John has been a litigator for the LGBT community for well over 30 years at uh, the ACLU, at Lambda Legal Defense, and now at Freedom for All, uh, LGBT. Freedom for All Americans, that's the new group. And then finally, the incorrigible, and it's his birthday. We're all going to sing a big happy birthday to him when he comes on the air. David Mixner from New York City will be on the air. So that is our lineup for the day. I hope you stay tuned for the whole two hours. It's going to be an incredible day, gang. So let's just start right out. Uh, Diane, you're going to help me co-host here. Sure. And I've got I've got Lori Jean, and I've got like you know twenty minutes to find out everything about her. I I know a little bit about her. You were a FEMA lawyer, right? San Francisco that, at one point. Uh, that's right. I actually started with them in Washington D.C., and then uh, they promoted this young open lesbian to head out to San Francisco and. Um, be the deputy regional director of their largest and busiest region. Wow. And that was not fulfilling for you? Because when we first met, we were on the board of uh, Lambda, Lambda Legal, Legal Defense right. in the late 80s. Yeah. yeah, It was very fulfilling for me, but I found over time that my volunteer activism was so much more fulfilling yeah. than my uh, work as a lawyer. So I decided I wanted to work full-time for the movement. Wow. And, and what was the first job? Was it the center? or uh, It was the center. And uh, there's sort of an interesting story. I actually applied to be the executive director of what was then called the Human Rights Campaign Fund in 1989. Wow. And I made it to the finals with Tim McFeely. And they selected him, even though the staff unanimously endorsed me. And I thought, okay, why did this happen? Was gender a part of it? Maybe. Uh, But the truth was, I didn't have anything on my resume that uh, distinguished me from Tim. We both had been lawyers. um, We both had done similar kinds of activism. So when FEMA offered me this job uh, in the region, I thought, well, I better take that because that'll give me managerial experience at a huge level. So the next time I applied for one of the big jobs, uh, my resume would be the strongest, and that's sort of what happened at the center. Wow. Now, I have told this story on the air a few times about the first time I met you, because I, <laughs> I remember I was on the Lambda Legal Board, and I was just, you know, a little twink from uh, Orange County, Laguna Beach, and and I walked in, and I met you on the Lambda Board, and I said, hi, I'm John Duran. I'm from uh, Orange County, and I absolutely know nothing about feminism, and you seem to know a lot, so what should I uh, know about it? And you said, here are a list of books for you to read. <laughs> you told me the well of loneliness and a couple others. Go read these, and then you can talk to me. <laughs> wow, I I don't ever remember recommending the well of loneliness to anyone. But <laughs> it was a downer. It was a downer. <laughs> 
But that, that was my first encounter with, with you. Well, we were both very young back we then. We were very young. That would have been 89, I think, 30 years ago. Yeah, maybe even ago. before then, because wow. I think I was in Washington still when you came on the board. But, oh, wow. But well, yeah, we've, we've lasted a long time, John, we're, uh, we're despite reports of our demise. I know. It's premature. <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> Diane, when you were one of the co-founders of HRC, is that right? I mean, Mecla was the predecessor for all of it, right? Mecla was the first one. Okay. It was the first political action committee dedicated to lesbian and gay rights. There was no BT at that point. No, or Q at that point in time. <laughs> or I or double I or double Q. or Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then out of Mecla came a whole lot of other PACs all over. Well, California had the Alliance in San Francisco, Baymec in San Jose, USDEC in San Diego, ECHO in Orange County, uh, Cat Pack in Sacramento. But out of all that came the idea of creating a, a federal PAC, right? Well, actually, the federal PAC was um, developed early. I think before lots of the local ones that happened. And it was a few members out of Mecla that were working with people in D.C. and that resulted in HRC. Who? You remember? Was it Randy Close? No. Randy no, Close no, and Randy, Jean uh, O'Leary came later. later. Um, Jean actually was working at that point in time for... Um, National Gay Rights Advocates, NGRA? Yes, I think that was it. San Francisco. Yeah, she was. And then she moved on to D.C. Um, But out of Mecla at the time, Richard Kaplan, who is long gone, he was one of the key people that started working in D.C. with people there. And they sort of copied the Mecla model. Hmm. And, And created HRC. Yeah. Were you at the March on Washington in 87? I was, and at the March on Washington in 1979. You were there in 79. I had just gone to Washington to go to law school. Oh, my God, the very, very first March on Washington. So the March in 79, that was pre-AIDS. That was pre-anything. That's right. We were still officially sodomites. Those were the days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we were still sodomites in 87, too. uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But not in California. Not in California. Not in California. California. We were the first ones to pass (laughs) consensual act. What, What was the March in 79 like? You know, John, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I had just come out the previous uh, semester, my last semester of college, and I went off to Washington, D.C. to go to law school and had my first lover, and we marched at that march with about 100,000 people, and I had never been so inspired. I had never felt so much a part of a community. I hadn't really realized how much of a community we had then. Wow. That, and that was the very first of uh, four, 79, 87, 93, maybe three. Maybe we've only Well, and there, no, there's been a few others that didn't get national support, really. Uh, okay. Uh, but, okay. Yeah. Those are the big three. When we come back, more talk with Lori Jean from the LA LGBT Center and Diane Abbott co-hosting. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
That's incredible, Lori Jean. Lori, you remember that speech? I do. <laughs> wow. Where was it? Uh, I think that was, well, gosh, I can't remember whether that was at an evening with women or... What was it, Jason? You, you, you found the clip. It was a speech uh, at a Trump rally, wasn't it? An, An anti Trump rally. Anti Trump rally. Oh, anti Trump rally. Right. There you go. Living the good fight all the way it's, up to current it, day. It's up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, J- Jason here is my millennial producer, and, and I am committed to having this intergenerational discussion. <laughs> and we try to do it every week. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we lost Jink Spears recently, publisher of the Lesbian News, and we lost Bob Craig some time ago, publisher of Frontiers. And I I try to tell young people there was a time before iPhones and the internet and and uh, never heard else. of that. Time. Yeah, I know there was a time <laughs> where in order to find each other, you had to hunt. You had to go out to the bars or to the clubs to get these news publications. And but that thing to... that makes things more exciting, don't you think? Well, <laughs> it wasn't exciting. Half the fun was the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Laura, you must run across so many young people, you know, and, and all three of us now are now, you know, we're, we're getting long in the tooth mm-hmm. <laughs> and starting to, like, reluctantly, some of us, including me, pass the torch to the next generation. What, what contrast do you notice or what, what, what are you noticing as you're talking to young people? You know, there's such a, a level of freedom and self-understanding uh, uh, in ways that when I was a teenager, you know, I didn't know any other LGBT people. I didn't even realize I was one. Right. And now these young people, many of them are coming out when they're in their early teens. And um, we see both uh, youth who are experiencing homelessness because their own families have rejected them, and their experience, of course, is is very different. And then we see young people who have come out in their families, have been accepted, are proud, and expect to have an equal place in this society. And I'm very excited to see what they will do to change the world further. Yeah, you know, and I always wonder, and maybe this is just a philosophical debate not worth having, but I always wondered, because we all had to struggle, like we had to fight first our own selves to accept who we were, mm-hmm. to overcome religious teachings maybe, family expectations, you know, our own conscious. I mean, the battle started with me versus me. And then to go out and try to find others. and But out of all that came this like fierce level of I'm ready to fight. <laughs> I'm ready to battle. I'm ready to take on anything. And I just wonder if young people who get to come out at 11 or 12 or 13 and have a GSA, maybe they don't have that same commitment to the LGBT world. Maybe they're more successfully integrated or assimilated into the mainstream community and maybe they're going to take us other places. And you maybe know, that's okay. Yeah, I, I think it's probably okay. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth to what you just said. But I also mourn a little bit for the phenomenally passionate community that came together and fought because we had no allies. Right. We had to go through those struggles. And uh, I'm a, a fan of Terrence McNally's views about some of the losses that assimilation and acceptance will bring. Mm. But if I have to make a choice, of course, I'll take those losses because we need to be full and complete members of our society. Well, and this is what we fought for, right? We mm-hmm. fought for the uh, right or to be like just like anybody else and be given an equal shot. But there's something to be said about trying to maintain our culture and our unique contribution to culture. Mm -hmm. Diane, you're looking at me funny. 
Well, because <laughs> here in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, I think that we become more and more integrated. But when we look at the Midwest and the South, it's a very different experience. And in those states where, yes, we have the right to marry, but that doesn't mean we're protected against discrimination, including firing, housing. It's not so easy. And that's why so many young people, I think, come to Los Angeles, because here they can be who they are. There's still a fight. Yeah. You know, I've interviewed uh, people who are African-American raised in the South, raised in the Deep South. And um, to them, the bigger struggle is against racism and homophobia. That's a common thing that they share, that to them the battle is against racism and they just happen to be gay. And being gay is not the paramount battle for them. And just, just an interesting aside. I think that we have racism within our own community. And certainly we have a lot of prejudice against trans, transgender people, and especially against transgender people who happen to be African American. Yeah. It's hard for them. Laurie, when I was a volunteer at the center back in the 80s, it was on Highland. They had two phones. We were taking calls about STIs, and that is not the center today. What is the center today? Well, you know, I interviewed in that building on Highland oh, in wow. 1992 when I uh, first became the executive director, and it was the best there was for its time. But it was a converted motel, and it was a dump. <laughs> but they were building a new building. Actually, they were renovating uh, the old IRS building in Hollywood at that time. And they were, when I started in January of 93, we were one building in Hollywood. We had an $8 million budget and about 125 or 30 staff. Uh, today, our annual budget is $141 million. Wow. We have 800 staff. Wow. Uh, wow. We have 10 locations all over town. Uh, and we're serving uh, close to 50,000 client visits every single month. And so it's a phenomenal institution, but that has kept itself connected to the grassroots of our community because they're walking through our doors every single day. And you've been at the helm since when? I started in January of 93. I took a little break in the middle. Right. Uh, but this second time around, I've been here for 16 years. So 25 years. Lori, thank you for taking us from one little motel to uh, 50,000 people being served a month. That's amazing. Well, I had a lot of help along the way. And this Los Angeles community is a community of tremendous vision and generosity that, that hasn't really gotten its just due in our larger movement. Yep. People think about San Francisco or New York. Uh, and really, Los Angeles led the way in many ways. It was here in L.A. that our contemporary movement started with the Mattachine Society and right. Foundation in 1950 and 51. Yep. Uh, yep. And it was here in L.A. in 1959 that we had the first riots the against cat. police. Yep. No, not the Black oh, Cat. Oh, Cooper's Donuts. Cooper Donuts Cooper in Donuts. downtown, yep. closed yep. down Main Street for a day. Yep. And these are things that lots of people don't know because we didn't have the Village Voice press that was covering it. And, yep. uh, yep. uh, and uh, Or the Los Angeles LGBT Center. It was uh, among the very first centers. It's the 
uh, oldest continually active center in the country, and uh, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Well, I hope to have you back to talk about the celebration of the 50th year. That would be incredible. When we come back, gang, we'll be talking to John Davidson and his journey. I want to thank Lori Jean for coming by. Lori, thank you so much. So happy to be here, John. Yeah, happy Thanks. to have you. All right. Thanks, gang, for tuning in here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, gang. Wow, wasn't that a great talk with Lori Jean? She is amazing. To take the center from a one-room shop with two phones to, what did she say, Diane? 800 employees and a $140 million budget. I just... Blows right me around away. there. Lot, I, think it, I think it was 800 employees and yeah. 140,000 or 147,000. Million. 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 Sorry. Million. Yeah, million. million. That, that yeah. wouldn't even get you her salary. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and now we're moving to the next icon, John Davidson for from uh, Americans. I'm sorry. Freedom, freedom for, for all Americans. Yes, freedom for all Americans. Yeah, <laughs> Jason, you learned how to use the applause button. I'm so proud. I'm learning it. I'm learning it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, gang, let me tell you a little bit about John Davidson. So, I was a law clerk back in the early 80s for Diane Abbott, who is seated over here to my right, and got tired of commuting from Laguna Beach all the way to West L.A. So, I went to clerk for Georgia Garrett Norris, the late Georgia Garrett Norris and the late Marjorie Rushforth in 1984. And uh, they said, we have this new case, Vincent Chalk, a school teacher with AIDS. The Orange County Board of Education is kicking him out. And we're working with this lawyer named John Davidson from Irel and Manello, right? Yes. I was 85. I think that's the first time I met you, which is 35 years ago, John. <laughs> <laughs> was that your very first LGBT case? Um, well, I got involved in working with the ACLU while I was in private practice. Uh, in a case that went to the Supreme Court, the R-Line case, it involved a teacher with tuberculosis where the Reagan Justice Department was arguing that people with infectious diseases could not be considered protected under laws prohibiting discrimination on the basis of disability. And although the case was was factually about tuberculosis. Their brief was all about AIDS. Mm. <laughs> and so Susan McGreevy, who oh, was yeah. a lawyer at the ACLU at the time, uh, enlisted my help in writing the first amicus brief, friend of the court brief, to the U.S. Supreme Court about AIDS, um, trying to educate them about how it actually was not uh, contagious in the way that many other diseases are thought of, that it was actually very hard to spread, and trying to to make sure that they understood the science. But at the time, there there wasn't like a lot of compendia of of information, and so I remember my office was just full of uh, morbidity and mortality weekly reports from the CDC <laughs> oh God, remember and that? Oh my God. Journal of American Medical Association articles as we tried to like distill it all for the court. The judge back in the chalk case, Judge Gray, I yes. think it was William Gray, the late William Gray, I remember when he ruled against the county of Orange and reinstated Vince Chalk, he made some statement, I don't remember exactly, I was a very young person back then, 26 years 
proposal, something along the lines of uh, your theory uh, about uh, how HIV can be transmitted in the classroom is as likely as men from Mars invading the planet or something like yes. something like that, something yes. really amazing. Uh, when we come back, gang, we'll be talking to John Davidson about his long and distinguished legal career fighting for LGBT people here on Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. For the musical Hairspray, I Know Where I've Been. Uh, We'd have to be a great song for you, John. (laughs) You have been to Supreme Court, I think, more than any other LGBT lawyer in this country. (laughs) How many times? We just counted. Six? Uh, Five times. Five times. And let's talk about those for a second. So I think the first one was what? Romer. Romer. Versus Lawrence. Now, Romer versus Colorado was a case about an anti-discrimination law that Denver passed that the voters of the state of Colorado overturned. Right. They passed an amendment to the state constitution to prohibit any government body in Colorado from enacting protections for lesbians, gay men, or bisexuals. They could have protections for heterosexuals, just <laughs> not for lesbians, gay men, and bisexuals. And so it repealed the the city ordinances in, in four cities, I think, in Colorado mm. at the time. Um, and the U.S. Supreme Court decided that that was a violation of equal protection in, in kind of the most fundamental sense, that if you're saying that a, the government can't protect a certain group of people against discrimination, but could protect other people against discrimination, that was itself a denial of equal protection of the laws. Per se. It makes sense, um, yeah. But was that, that a 5-4? Was, that was, uh, I think it was 6-3. Six, 6-3. Three. Six, three. Um, but Justice Kennedy wrote that God decision as he Justice did Kennedy. for almost all of the, the good decisions that we got from the Supreme Court uh, right. since. Right. And then Lawrence v. Texas. Lawrence v. Texas. Overturned Bowers versus Hardwick. Now, Bowers versus Hardwick was uh, upheld the sodomy state statute of Georgia, uh, but it kind of held us back as a people. Yes, a I mean, it, it. you know, even though sodomy laws weren't enforced very regularly in terms of, like, you had to catch people having sex, <laughs> um, but they were used as justifications for denying people certain jobs or for denying people custody of their kids mm. by saying, well, you're a criminal by definition. Um, and therefore you're not fit to parent and you can't be a police officer or a school teacher. And so it was really important to erase this idea that that our sharing our love with other people was somehow a, a criminal act. Yeah. Diane's written, nodding her head because she was a lesbian parent in I the was. 70s and, and trying to figure out how to keep her kids. Yeah, it was very challenging. And there was really no organization at that point in time that was doing anything or an acknowledgement that lesbians could be mothers. That in itself was a, was a huge, huge concept for people to understand. So Lawrence v. Texas overturned Bowers. Was that a five to four too? Or yeah, that was a five to four. Again, Justice Kennedy wrote the, the majority opinion. God bless Justice Kennedy. Sacramento, California, right? Correct. And, uh, and appointed by uh, Ronald Reagan or 
Ford? Bush maybe? or Jerry, Gerald Ford? I think. Oh, God, thank God. Thank God that, <laughs> God that happened. And then after that, what was uh, the Probably next was one we lost, Dale versus the Boy Scouts of America. Oh. Um, which... I don't uh, remember the facts of that. I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious. It Boy involved somebody who... James Dale, who had been in the Boy Scouts for many years. Eagle and, Scout. Right, and he was an Eagle Scout. And then he was going to become an assistant scoutmaster when somebody saw an interview with him at his from his school newspaper talking about him being gay and his him kind of doing stuff at the school to support uh, other gay students and he got a letter saying he was being kicked out um, and and could no longer be involved um, and uh, Lambda Legal brought a lawsuit Evan Wolfson was the the lawyer and they uh, ended up winning at the New Jersey Supreme Court and then the boys the the Boy Scouts took it to the US Supreme Court which overturned the decision by five to four mm. um, and who wrote this one Rehnquist was it Rehnquist as the Chief Justice I'm thinking God I'm not remembering <clears throat> if it uh, if it was him perhaps Scalia I I, I don't remember one of them um, yeah. and uh, they, they held that that the Boy Scouts had a a First Amendment right to choose who was going to speak on its behalf. Mm. Um, but, you know, the battle against the Boy Scouts discrimination didn't end, um, and instead we tried to go put pressure on them, political and economic pressure, and eventually they got rid of their policy, and now uh, it's up to the individual uh, den or troop uh, leadership as to who's gonna who they're gonna choose, but the Boy Scouts does not prevent someone from gay who's gay uh, or trans uh, from serving. You know, the Boy Scouts here in Los Angeles just started to admit girls. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Isn't that amazing? I guess because they do things like camping and wild, campfires and things mm-hmm. that the Girl Scouts don't cover. Uh, that's what I was told anyway. I'm not sure that's the reason, but they are slightly different programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that 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 one we lost in the short term, but you know ended up winning in the outing law. the Boy Scouts as a discriminatory organization, and right. and that helped ultimately change the policy. Right. And then marriage, I guess marriage would be the next one. Right. So first the the Windsor case that held that uh, the federal government had to recognize and treat equally uh, marriages of same sex couples that were lawfully entered in in states as states began to allow those. Um, or that were entered in other countries. And that was uh, Edith Windsor. That's a 5-4, I right. assume, with Kennedy again. <laughs> right. And then, of course, the Obergefell decision, which uh, declared that, that all states had to allow same-sex couples to marry and recognize marriages that had entered in other jurisdictions. You know, John, it's a shame you don't have anything to do in your spare time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, thank you for charting the entire movement's history in uh, your legal work. That's well, amazing. Well, you know, it's been, we've come very, very far and I think a lot of people these days don't don't really know the history of what it was like to, to lose custody of your children, to be fired, to be denied housing, to be denied services, um, to not be allowed to serve in the military, right. something transgender people are still experiencing Even now. under this administration. <laughs> Even now. When we come back, we're going to get back with John Davidson about the current work that he's doing with uh, Freedom From All Americans. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. 
Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I picked this song for you, John. <laughs> you. I, I picked this song for you. You are our Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I told Jason, get the Rocky theme show. Rocky, oh, and he's like, Rocky Balboa? I, I said, said, what? Rocky? Yeah. He said, yes, because he's a fighter. He's a fighter for decades and decades and decades. Welcome back, gang. If you're just tuning in, uh, here in studio, Diane Abbott is co-hosting with me, and we're interviewing John Davidson from Freedom for All Americans. I think before the break, I said from all Americans. I should have said from all MAGA hats, maybe, is what I meant. <laughs> That was what I meant. Uh, John, tell us a bit about the current work that you're doing, litigation. So um, I joined uh, Freedom for All Americans as its chief counsel a little over a year ago. And that organization is about four years old and works to secure comprehensive and effective sexual orientation and gender identity non-discrimination laws across the country. Um, And so... Uh, I've been doing both kind of legislative lawyering, helping try to get good laws passed in states and at the federal level, um, and to fight against laws that would create big exceptions to anti-discrimination protections. Um, And uh, what I've been working on most recently is three cases that the U.S. Supreme Court's going to hear argument on on October 8th. Um, They all raise the question whether existing federal employment discrimination law, which bars discrimination based on sex, encompasses discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm. So these are incredibly important decisions um, uh, that the Supreme Court will be making that will really determine whether if you're discriminated against at work because you're LGBT, um, can you go into federal court and, and make a claim or not? Now, we've been fighting for years to get express protections, and there is a bill um, called the Equality Act, which passed the House of Representatives this year, which is a major achievement. But people really need to be putting pressure on their senators to try to get it through the Senate as well. Right. Um, and, you know, elections have consequences, um, both in terms of what's the composition of Congress and will we be able to get good bills through? Um, and, and you know, will Congress stand by uh, as this current administration takes uh, action against the, our community again and again and again, whether it's the military ban or efforts to allow uh, government contractors to raise religious defenses to uh, to fire people based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. In any event, these three cases that the Supreme Court's going to decide, uh, I was in charge of coordinating all the friend of the court briefs that were submitted to the court. There were 49 of them on our side. Wow. Um, and uh, we really, uh, you know, got incredible number of supportive voices from 
206 major businesses, 151 members of Congress, 84 uh, local governments and mayors, um, the AMA, the, uh, the American Bar Association, the American Psychological Association, the National Education Association, the American Association for the Advancement of Retired People. I mean, we got the, the kind of mainstream organizations to say to the court, if you apply the the conservative principle of textualism of looking what the words are it is sex discrimination to fire a man because he is attracted to other men when you wouldn't fire a woman who is attracted to men it is because of his sex at least in part right and if you fire a transgender woman who was fine when she identified as a male but now that she identifies as a female she's not okay for the same job well, that's also discrimination based on sex. So it doesn't require some change in the understanding of sex. Even if you think sex just means male or female, it is a violation of, of the laws prohibiting sex discrimination to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity. The challenge we face is that, that uh, the, uh, Trump has, has put two very conservative people on the Supreme Court Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. So there's now a majority of conservatives on the court. And the question is, will we be able to reach them to do the right thing here? Right. Um, or will they vote based on politics? Um, and, you know, we've we've seen in a number of other cases challenging uh, Trump administration positions on, on immigration and um, on, you know, a range of other measures that the court has been fairly deferential. Uh, uh, to the position and one of the things that's sad here was one of these cases that involves a transgender woman who was an embalmer and funeral director who was fired when she told the owner of the company that she would be transitioning um, uh, the EOC originally brought that case, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, and they won at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals but now that the case is before the Supreme Court because the funeral home took it up um, the Department of Justice right now represents the EOC, and they are filing a brief today saying it's legal to discriminate on the basis Thank of you, gender identity. Barr. Thank you, William Barr. Thank you, William Barr. And so, uh, again, as I say, elections have consequences. So everybody is holding out hope that John Roberts is going to become the new swing vote. And we've seen him do that in several cases. He was the one who basically said that the the census uh, could not include uh, a question about your immigration status, you know, whether you were a citizen or not, at least without a better explanation than, than the government was giving. Um, and then they there wasn't time for them to try to manufacture something <laughs> before the census forms needed to be printed, and so it's not going to be on there, which would have had very serious impacts um, on the counting, getting an accurate count of how many people there are in this country, which is very important for purposes of apportionment of uh, uh, the state's uh, representatives in Congress and of getting various kinds of uh, funding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we have any hope for Clarence Thomas <laughs> helping us out or any of the others. So uh, I guess John Roberts, man. But, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And one of the important things I think is important that, that people need to know is that win or lose these cases before the Supreme Court, we're still going to need Congress to act because this case is about employment discrimination. Um, and even if the court accepts that, that it is sex discrimination to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity, um, that only helps us with laws that currently bar sex discrimination. There is no federal law that bars sex discrimination in public accommodations. 
um, so restaurants and stores. Um, but and there is no law that currently bars sex discrimination in federally funded services like adoption agencies. Mm. Um, and and so the Equality Act would add prohibitions on sex discrimination into those um, and then would specifically uh, enumerate sexual orientation and gender identity as forms of sex discrimination. So it's going to be important to push for that law regardless of what happens at the court. Diane, do you feel like we're back in law school? I mean, I could listen to the professor all day. I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I should be taking fascinating. notes. Fascinating. <laughs> really, really fascinating. Notes. John, we have less than a minute left. A, a website, people want to learn more about Freedom for sure. All Americans. Where would you direct people? www.freedomforallamericans.org there you go. You can join the fight, gang. It sounds like the battle is ongoing. If you want to know where to give your cold, hard cash, that's one of the places right there. Thanks so much, John. John, thank you for coming. Will you lovely come, to see you. Good, so good will you come back you, again in the future I'd and tell, give to. us an update on all these cases? Definitely. That, that would be awesome. All right, gang. When we come back, I'll be talking to uh, Diane Abbott gossiping about her love life. So you sure want to come <laughs> back for that here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back, gang. Well, we just finished incredible interviews with Lori Jean and John Davidson. And uh, very soon, uh, David Mixner will be calling in. But it, while we wait for his call, I'm in studio with Diane Abbott, who stands on her own two feet as an icon. Oh, I don't know about that. You're iconic, yeah, babe. Part, You're but... iconic. You're iconic. You've been every guest who's walked in. They give you an extra big hug, <laughs> extra big hug. You're iconic. Well, we we fought together. Yeah, that's true. We're all warriors together. It's very very true. I know you were you. I don't know if you know this. You were my very first guest on my very first show, and that's happened in September of last year. We're coming up on the one year anniversary of doing this show, and you were the very first guest. Time goes quickly. <laughs> I know it's so true, and we're and we're getting up there. You were just saying during the break, your son David is now fifty years old. I just had his fiftieth birthday. Wow! And I remember when he was a kid. And he was like, well, let me think, what, David's uh, 50, so he was born in, okay. 68. 68, and I met you in 83, so he would have been 20, no, is that right? 78, 15. 15. I met him when he was a teenager, and now he's 50. Yes, and I'm still 48. Yes, isn't it amazing? <laughs> it is amazing. Yes, I know. And I, on the other hand, am 48. Okay. <laughs> Thank God our listeners can't do math. <laughs> I figured that all out. You know, we have uh, watched so many of our uh, organizations come and go. I mean, Lori Jean and John Davidson, both very active with uh, the ACLU, with Lambda Legal Defense, and there was National Gay Rights Advocates with the late Jean O'Leary, National Center for Lesbian Rights with Kate Kendall for many years. Uh, so many legal organizations that have been at the forefront of the movement. And I mean, that is what it's about, at least these fights. It's politics and law. Politics and law. I think it's politics, law, and grassroots. Yeah. I would throw, and here's the thing I've been arguing lately it's politics, law, and culture. Because the media 
television, movie-making, music, they reshape the culture in a way that makes LGBT advancement possible. I mean, I it, think that's true. Yeah. Um, that's because people who are out help to change music and entertainment. Speaking of out, we have somebody joining the phone, uh, calling in, and Jason's about to add him. David, are you there, David Mixner? Mr. Duran, how are you, sir? I am sitting here with Diane Abbott, and uh, we're going to first uh, have her sing a little something to you. Ready? Hit it. The incredible Marilyn Monroe, Diane Abbott is I know, Marilyn I thought Monroe. she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you, honey. God Happy birthday. Hi, Diane. Hey, David. <laughs> Happy birthday, honey. Thank you. We're so happy to have you on the show. We've had quite a day, David. We interviewed Lori Jean. We interviewed John Davidson. And now we get the iconic David Mixner. It's amazing. <laughs> Bringing up the rear. <laughs> okay, I can't even go there. No. Where's that beat drum? But I'm bummed. That's that's, that's what we should have played for you. I got to figure that one out. Yeah, David, you. What a great podcast you're doing, John. Congratulations. It's so needed. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we're really happy. We are broadcasting on AM radio, FM radio, HD two, and of, of course, podcasts. All the different formats all across the country in 28 cities right now. So, it's amazing. David, you first got active with the movie. I think after Woodstock, right? Hate to date you. No, but this uh, is the 50- Woodstock. Uh, this is my 60th anniversary of organizing. All right. I started uh, with uh, as a volunteer for John Kennedy in 1959. That's the year I was born, babe. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> this is the end of the call. Bye. <laughs> All right, so you're a volunteer for John Kennedy. I'm being birthed. And uh, <laughs> were you And out? I was active in the civil rights movement in the early 60s and with Dr. King in the South and went to jail a couple times. Yeah, that I knew and then about the, you. The peace then the march. Vietnam War. Vietnam War, yep. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Woodstock was on my birthday, and I got backstage passes as a birthday gift. Oh, my God. What's the most memorable part of Woodstock for you? Uh, the Purple Dot Acid and Janis Joplin. Wow, there you go. That's really, really cool. Now, as, but my life, my political life, really didn't begin until I met Diane Abbott. Ah, uh, and and with the old Mechla crowd. But I mean, while all this is going on, David, are you out as a gay man to yourself? No, I was very, very closeted, extremely closeted, and terrified of being re-outed right. uh, until I was thirty years old. Wow, and then it all broke loose. Well, you know, I figured I had worked for peace and worked for everybody else's freedom. But what bought me out, John, and Diane will remember this because she met me just after I came out, uh, was Anita Bryant. Ah, uh, uh, Dade I County, do. Dade County. Yeah, that's what. And then, of course, no on Prop Six in 1978. That happened shortly thereafter. David, we got to take a quick commercial break. We hang on. We'll be right back after this break. All right. Thanks for tuning yep. in, gang, to Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. 
Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Great speech, Big Daddy. That's you at the Empire State Pack. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. We got some of your favorite David Mixner clips. I, of course, had to delete some of the more, you know, spicy ones. Well, those are the sort of the ones that just you and I know, John. <laughs> David, we were talking before we took the break about uh, Anita Bryant bringing you into uh, activism. Uh, tell us about that. It's, well, I think uh, Diane also was heavily involved. That's when we first met and became best friends. Uh, it was, I think, the beginning of the modern-day political LGBTQ movement. Uh, it bought a n- huge number of people out of the closet, including myself. Uh, Anita Bryant was runner-up in Miss America. I want to point out she wasn't Miss America. She was a loser. She was second place. <laughs> and, I love that. <laughs> and that uh, uh, she put the initiative on the Dade County ballot in Florida, making it legal to discriminate against LGBTQ people. We really didn't think it would pass because this was the first initiative used against us ever. And she got what, Diane, upper 60s uh, yes, percent yes, in the vote? she did. And, and then it spread so to California. Diane, you can tell yeah. what happened then. Oh, well, she was so excited about her success in Florida that she decided to come to California and to introduce a law that would ban teachers who were homosexual or who supported equal rights for homosexuals from teaching in California state schools. Got on the ballot. And, and if they were discovered or accused by anyone of being one of those two things, it was mandated by this initiative. They had to appear in a court trial before the school board. And they had to prove that they neither were homosexual or supportive of homosexual rights. And if they couldn't, they lost their teaching credential for life. Wow. And when we started, uh, initially the community didn't want to fight it. Uh, Anita Bryan had one in uh, Dade County, uh, St. Paul, Wichita, Eugene. And there was a segment that said, oh, we can't win, we can't win, we shouldn't spend money. But that segment didn't include people like Diane Abbott and Troy Perry and Gail Wilson and myself and Pat Denslow and Peter Scott, we said we have to fight it. Thank God you did. And you beat it two to one. We won 54% of the vote. We even carried Orange County. That's amazing. And no one thought we could do it. And you got Ronald... It's interesting. I got to give credit to Troy, Reverend Troy Perry of the MCC churches. Diane, if you remember, no one would write us a check. Yes. And... Troy went down to the federal building and fasted for 17 days until we got $100,000 in the bank, which was a lot of money back then. Yep. And he wouldn't accept pledges. It had to be in the bank. And then we all went down and had an agape meal with him when he broke his fast. He got us off the ground. That's amazing. That is amazing. You got Ronald Reagan to support our side. Yes, uh, we went in to uh, see Governor Reagan. Uh, They didn't want to meet with us because they told us he was going to support the initiative, which he was planning to do. Uh, But our bright people, legal people, found a technicality where any student could accuse their teacher of being gay, and they would have to go through this process. And I said to Governor Reagan, I'm surprised that you're supporting this because it would create anarchy in the school. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, 
if a teacher gives a kid a failing grade or a disciplinary problem, all they have to do is accuse their teacher of being gay, and they run the risk of losing their teacher credential. Uh, I said to the governor, I said, children will run our schools. It will be an anarchy in our schools. And what was it, two days later, Diane, that he came out against the initiative based on that, I think it was? Yeah, he used the privacy. You know, we should stay out of people's bedrooms. And he came out strongly in opposition to Prop Six. David, you got time yep. to hang with us for just another segment? We got to do another quick commercial break. All right, gang, we'll be right back talking to David Mixner here on Channel Q. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out of market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Great words, Big Daddy. David Mixner. So thanks again for joining us, David. It's an honor to, John. I mean, uh, being on the uh, radio with you and Diane, it just doesn't get any better. Honey, let's talk a little bit about um, Peter Scott, if you don't mind, because I know, you know, you and Peter did that campaign around No on Prop 6, and and he was your partner, and and it's such a huge loss uh, for the community when both Peter and David died. I think it was 88, 89 or so. 89. Uh, Well, Peter and I and Diane were best friends. And Diane was with her ex uh, and living in the valley. And we spent every night there planning how we could get closer to freedom for LGBTQ people. And he was an amazing man who uh, was sort of the intellectual and guru of a number of us. Uh, Wouldn't you say, Diane? I would absolutely agree with you. And he... He is one of many, though, whose names we'll never know in the history books. A lot of people that Diane and I worked side by side with who were taken early by the plague and the inaction of our government. And they are people who, like Peter, who fought up to the last dying breath for freedom and equality and a cure for HIV AIDS. And... Uh, there are thousands of names who we will ever know, and we're here by the grace of God. Uh, many of them would probably be in our place uh, today if they had survived. Don't you agree, Diane? I absolutely agree. I think that, that the battle um, to try to get help, support, social services, drugs for AIDS patients in the beginning was so difficult and so many really sacrificed themselves in the process. David, you know, I'm sorry, David, there's some irony. Uh, you, you went on to do the campaign for military service and you were a, an anti-war, anti-Vietnam war guy. And then you went to fight for LGBT people's right to, to join the military. Some irony in that, right? Well, I mean, I, I said that, uh, God was cruel to me. I mean, I'm a pacifist, and I ended up spending a good deal of my life fighting for the right of LGBTQ people to serve our country. Not serve in the military, but to serve our country. Right. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that 
it would be uh, wrong and self-righteous and immoral for me to pose my personal beliefs on other people uh, without them making that choice themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, we have to understand, is the purpose of a movement, and we have to be careful with our self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a tendency to say, oh, I came out before that person, or that person isn't as good on the issues as I am. The fact of the matter is, there's only one reason for a movement and for all of us to come together, and that is to create a climate that will change minds, that will make it easier for people to join us in the struggle for freedom, and make it easier for those who are still in the closet to come out, no matter what their race, their creed, their ideology, or personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of us has uh, a claim on the truth. Truth changes every day I get up. We get new information. Hell, I used to think there were just nine planets. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were all but taught. One of the, <laughs> if I can say something, John, if I may, before we run out of time. Diane and I dealt with a time when many of our people and friends were had forced lobotomies performed on them by their families involuntary lobotomies because they were uh, a member of our community. Thousands of them were performed. In one institution in California alone, 4,000 lobotomies were done in LGBTQ people in one year. Uh, And we have gone from that to where, when AIDS broke out, funeral funeral undertakers would not bury us, dentists would not treat us, doctors would not treat us, Many hospitals would not accept us. Home care workers would not come into our homes. And this community responded nobly and heroically and courageous and set a model for future generations. But now, in Diane and mine and your lifetime, John, we have gone from forced lobotomies to where we get to witness a man run for president of the United States who just happens to be gay and is taken very seriously. Miraculous. Truly miraculous. Yep. In one lifetime. But a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears to make that happen. And sacrifices on a lot of people's part. Uh, I know the sacrifice that Diane made raising four children, uh, constantly under the threat that they could be taken away from her by the law, legally, uh, and... uh, watched her go through law school at night and raise four kids and never once failed in the battle for freedom. She is a remarkable pioneer, and I live in awe and admiration of both of you. Oh, very sweet. That's so nice. And you know we feel the same about you, really. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You've done amazing things. And not only that, I wish we had more time because I think how you've changed – you're, you're always doing the same thing, but change the things that you do to make them happen. Books, plays, one-man shows, always raising money for this community. It is so moving to me, David, and I am in awe of you. Well, thank you, but, you know, the Trump proves one thing. Our battle is never done. And as I turn 73 today, uh, you know, it's going to be the next generation who's going to be judged whether they pick up the banner or not. 
Very, very true. That's odd because, you know, Diane was just telling me she's 68. So uh, <laughs> She is. I thought Diane's 58, aren't you, Diane? Oh, I no, honey. I'm 48. No, that's my age. <laughs> uh, at least on Grinder, anyway. King, we are running out of time. David, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on your recognition tonight at Walt Disney Concert Hall by the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. And uh, thank you for joining us. I hope we can get you back another day. What an honor to spend time with you both. All right. That's it for today, gang. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be here next Friday on Sidebar with John Duran.